Well, this morning we are uh, in the Gospel of John, chapter 16. So would you join me in opening your Bibles uh, to the Gospel of John, chapter 16? Um, you may notice that uh, our, the routine we've done normally has been that we, um, we share in the Lord's table kind of in the middle of the service. But we want to uh, go to the table in response to God's word uh, this morning. So we will uh, respond uh, to the message by going to the table um, after um, service. So uh, as you're thinking about uh, the message this morning, as you're thinking about what God's word uh, delivers to you, uh, at the end, in the moment of silence, maybe you might think about this. You might think, is there a sin that I need to forsake? Is there a promise from God's word that I need to take, that I need to hold on to? And, and contemplate those things as you prepare your hearts to go to the Lord's table together. Um, our normal practice here at Spring Hill Church is to go through a book of the Bible, uh, chapter by chapter, precept upon precept, letting the Bible uh, itself and that book dictate the agenda for the, for the morning's message. We've been methodically moving our way through John's gospel, and this morning we're going to pick up our journey in chapter 16. Uh, we will begin in verse 12. We will first pray, then we will read the passage under consideration, then we will unfold the passage, making some observations and applications as we go. So first, let us pray together. It is in the name of Jesus Christ this morning that, Lord, your earthly ambassadors, we come we come this morning to your Holy Scripture. We're asking for your grace in the Holy Spirit to illuminate this passage to our minds that we might understand it, that you would inflame our hearts in love for you, that you would move our will in obedience to the word of God. We ask for your mercy and your grace upon the church that gathers this morning at Wapato, just down the road. We pray for them that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be the center of their worship in that church, in this church, and in all churches that gather this morning on the Lord's day. We pray for those who are hindered uh, from worshiping with us this morning uh, by illness or by vocation. I ask, Lord, that you would meet with them this morning, bring comfort and strength to them. I pray for those that are neglecting to gather this morning, uh, even due to their own disobedience, Lord. I ask for God, the Holy Spirit, to convince them of that error, to give them a desire for your presence and for Christian fellowship. I ask, Lord, that you would grant them repentance and faith once again and return them to your people. I ask all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. As you are able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's inerrant, Holy Spirit-inspired and written word, beginning in John 16, beginning in verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, 
and he will declare it to you, the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly, about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. We know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take our heart, I have overcome the world. This is God's word. You can be seated. So where do we go? Where do you go? For the answers to life's toughest questions. Where do you go to find answers to life's toughest questions? See, we live in an age where information is revealed to us instantaneously and constantly. But what source of information really answers the toughest questions? And does the information that we get change depending upon what source it comes from? Does it change over time? Today we hear one truth about things. Tomorrow, it's different. Remember, as the pandemic began in 2020, 
Masks do not help. That's what the CDC said as they started this, this road that we're on. A few weeks later, everybody must wear a mask. It is the only thing that is protecting you. 15 days, flatten the curve. That's all we need is 15 days. Then the next thing you know, it was take this vaccine and you won't get ill. Then down the road, the information is take this vaccine, you won't get as ill. Right? This information seems to change over time. Truth, as we seek the answers to questions in this life, seem to change. Is truth the questions we must ask when we're asking the tough questions is, is has this truth changed? Is it correct? Is this information I'm getting, is it even complete? Well, I think one of the most important questions that a Christian should ask is this. How do I remain faithful to God in a world marked by trouble? Also, a follow-up question to that that we might ask ourselves is, how do I remain faithful when I'm troubled by the residual sin in my own life? How do I remain faithful to God when I live in a godless society? What unchangeable source is there available to me to answer the tough questions as a Christian? What source can I trust that never changes? That is correct. That is complete. Is there a source that is correct and complete that will help me know how to live faithfully unto holy God? Is there a source? Well, you know, when I did youth ministry all the time, I would tease kids who gave me the Sunday school answer, but the Sunday school answer is actually appropriate here. The Sunday school answer is the right answer. Jesus Christ is the source of truth. The truth is embodied in him. That truth is the truth that the Christian can always trust in. This morning, we will see in our passage that the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ ushers in the complete, unchanging revelation of Jesus Christ. And it is through the witness of the Holy Spirit that the revealed, the fully revealed truth about Jesus Christ is given to us. Because Jesus goes to the Father, we will also see in this passage kind of a, a secondary thing maybe, but a more complete thing is that there is, Jesus gives a new promise for prayer, a new way to pray as we move forward. So let us look at 12 through 15, and I'm going to spend most of our time this morning in this passage in those three verses, but let's look at those uh, just a little bit more closer. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority. But wherever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
So, so far in our passages, we've uh, seen Jesus interact with these disciples. He has taught them about heaven. He's taught them about how you get there. He has given instructions concerning the work that needs to be done by the disciples. He's taught about prayer. Jesus has taught them about the coming Holy Spirit. He's taught them about the comfort of the Holy Spirit. He's talked to them and taught them about the enabling of the Holy Spirit to produce good fruit that, that God considers good. And Jesus has taught them about the Holy Spirit convicting the world of sin. He's taught them that they might find righteousness in Jesus Christ and then therefore escape God's judgment. And yet, as we come to this, kind of the end of his discourse with them, he says this, there are more words to come. There are more, there is more teaching yet to come. There's much more to say. Well, as he, as he does that, he, he's saying, there's more words to come. It's more complete. There's a, complete, a more complete knowledge of me that is coming uh, through the Holy Spirit. And in many ways, what he is saying is, I have saved the good wine until last. Remember from, our, from chapter 2, you know, when he's talked about the good wine and it saves the good wine for last when they've been well fed. He has saved the good wine to last as he begins to tell them what the Holy Spirit is about to teach them. Uh, these new words, right? He's going away that he might reveal to them, the Spirit would reveal to them the complete revelation of Jesus Christ himself. He tells them, my departure means that the Holy Spirit will come and teach you things. And these things he teaches you will fill out God's revelation of myself, of Jesus Christ. The Bible has revealed to us Jesus Christ, doesn't it? The Bible reveals Jesus Christ to us from Genesis to Revelation. It is the revelation, it is the person of Jesus Christ, his nature, his character, his desires, his, his, his willing obedience to the Father. It, all of the scriptures uh, show us this. The law, the prophets, the writings, those things the early disciples, they possessed, along with direct teachings of Jesus. And all of those things pointed them to the nature, the character, and the person of Jesus of Nazareth and pointed them to the fact that he is indeed the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the one that was promised to come. So it would have been incredible, I think, to the early disciples that any revelation beyond the law, the prophets, the writings, and Jesus' teachings of them would be needed. And Jesus says, there's more words to come. You cannot bear them now, but there are more to come. But pre precisely what Jesus promises is that all of the truth would be revealed concerning Christ when the Spirit comes. We need to be careful when looking at the revelation that Jesus is speaking of here because uh, an error can take place. Thinking, of course, rightly, we understand that the scriptures are the progressive revelation of God. They progressively reveal more and more about the person of Jesus Christ. But we can fall into an error when we look at this and think that the Holy Spirit somehow is continuing to progressively reveal more and more about Christ to you and to I than the generation that came before us. 
And that somehow the generation after us, more will yet be revealed by the Spirit. This is an area, an error that says that this text is applying to all people at all places in all times. Jesus is speaking specifically to the apostles, to the twelve here. When he says, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will guide you, specifically this group of people, into all the truth. And he will also, we'll see, use these people to fill out all of the truth for us. Has our generation really had more revelation of Jesus Christ than the previous one? Do we know more about Jesus Christ than the generation that was before us? Do you think that the generation that will follow us will know more about Jesus Christ, that the Spirit will reveal more to them than has been revealed to us? You may or may not be aware of this movement called NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation. They do great harm to the church, I believe, but I won't get into that. But you, you may have heard of them. The name alone should cause the faithful Christian to just pause for a second. It should cause us to pause when it says they call themselves new. That word should cause us to pause. Is there a, as it pertains to faith, as it pertains to practice, as it pertains to knowledge of Jesus Christ, if something says it's new, it is not true. If there is a truth concerning faith, practice, and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, if there is a truth that you do not yet know, and soon you come to discover it, it is not a new truth. I want us to be clear on that. Even as the preacher says, there's nothing new under the sun. Right? There is nothing new. This new and apostolic, these two words in the same sentence should throw up a huge flag. It should throw up a huge flag in the Christian heart. New and apostolic reformation. It should throw up a huge flag. There have only been 12 apostles. There will never be another one. There have only been 12. There will never be another apostle. So there's no new apostolic reformation. There's no such thing. It is a lie, and it has drug many people off the track. And they actually end up denying the real Lord Jesus. They end up not knowing the true gospel of Jesus Christ. There will never be another apostle. See, the apostles were personally appointed by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. They were personally appointed for the purpose of launching the church and completing the scriptural revelation of himself. What the Lord is promising here is that the Holy Spirit would reveal to the apostles a completed revelation of Jesus Christ and to them. 
And the Holy Spirit then working through the apostles would enable them to pen the authoritative, inerrant words of the New Testament such that the canon of Holy Scripture that progressively reveals the person of Jesus Christ would be complete. I want us to get this because there is no new revelation of Jesus Christ beyond that which the Holy Spirit has already revealed to the apostles who under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit wrote the revelation of Jesus Christ fully and finally and you have it here. If you want to know what the Spirit reveals about the person of Jesus Christ and you want to know it afresh, open it up again tomorrow. If you want to know fresh from the Holy Spirit what He has revealed about the person of Jesus Christ and the truth about God, open up the Bible tomorrow and He will teach you and He will show you it is complete. It is complete. In 1 Corinthians 12.29, you know, Paul, he, he poses this, these rhetorical questions. And the answer to these rhetorical questions I want you to know is an emphatic no. I'm going to say that up front. But here's these questions. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? The answer to that question is an emphatic no. 2 Peter 1.21 tells us this, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And consider 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 13 says this, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart them, you've got to pay attention to this, this is why I want you to know that the Bible is the complete revelation of what the Holy Spirit gave to these, uh, these 12. It's clear when you look at this text, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand these things freely that are given to us by God and we impart, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Jesus says here that the Spirit will reveal the truth. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth through Jesus Christ, if you remember from our study of John chapter 1, verse 17. What the Spirit is declaring to the, to the, to the apostles here is all truth. The truth that belongs to and is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. We should pay really close attention here uh, to verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. Some Bible translations leave out the word the. Pay attention to that. It's important. Secondly, we should pay close attention to the word guide. If you leave out the word the, he will guide you into all truth. King James Version, I believe, uh, renders it that way. He will guide you into all truth. The proper rendering here is all the truth. 
Because there is, it's singular in that it is found and embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. The truth, the truth, emphasizes that what is needed is a singular focus and understanding that the truth resides in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus has already taught that he is the truth. He says he is the way, the truth, and life. He doesn't say that he is like a truth among many. I'm one of the truths. I am the truth. I am the truth that must be known. That must be known if you are to enter into heaven, if you are to escape the wrath of God, you must know the truth. You must know Jesus Christ. The Spirit does not reveal a truth that is uh, simply something to be ascended to mentally, right? To be ascended to in your mind. But it is a truth, as we look at verse 13, to be guided into. It's a big word. It's a big word we should pay attention to in this. It is the truth that the Spirit reveals. And this truth is incorporated into a person and a person incorporated into it. So what he's communicating here right, is that when the Spirit comes, He will guide you into all the truth. Guide you into, incorporate you into that truth. That truth would be incorporated into you as a believer. Remember, I've talked about Jesus being the, the locus of the people of God, right? That it was, as we look at the Old Testament, we see the locus of God's people being Israel, but the but, but Jesus declaring in chapter 15, verse 1, that I am the true vine. The locus of God's people is now those who are incorporated into him, right? And then God has revealed his word. And now he, Jesus himself, is the locus of God's communication. He is the center of what God communicates to the world. Everything that, that God wants to communicate to the world, you can find that truth, and that truth is found only in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the locus. He is the Word made flesh who came and dwelt among us. He is the Word made flesh. He is the truth made flesh. So the knowledge of Jesus Christ is not something merely to be comprehended. I want, I want you to get this, church. I want you to get this. The knowledge of the truth about Jesus Christ is something to be apprehended. It's something to be apprehended. You, you, you comprehend it and apprehend it. You own it. It owns you. It's, it's who you are. It's who you've become. You've been incorporated into the truth. That's what the Spirit, the Holy Spirit here is, the, the promise from Jesus is that the Holy Spirit will incorporate you into all the truth. All the truth that is concerning me. It is the truth of Jesus Christ that is communicated by the Holy Spirit. It is, it is the, the communication about Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit that transforms dead men and women into eternal life. When the Spirit comes, what you cannot bear to understand comprehensively, he's saying to these guys, you cannot bear to understand this and to apprehend it concerning the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ, He, when He comes, will bring this to your understanding. That's what He's promising here. 
Verse 16, as we get to this question of sorrow, and we, we can see that the, why it is that he says to them in verse 12, you cannot bear them now. Verse 16 kind of answers, helps us answer that and, and beyond. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me, Jesus says. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, in a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And then he gives an example. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. You also have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Not only did the disciples need the help of the Holy Spirit to comprehend the depth of the things that were just about to come to pass, but they also had sorrow over Jesus going away. And that sorrow would have hindered them a little bit from, from knowing fully what he meant. See, when we look at verse 16, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, in a little while you will see me. He says this to them and their response is, well, what does he mean? And why is this so? Remember, he told them that there, he, he responded, don't let your heart be troubled, troubled. Believe in me. You believe in the father, believe also in me. But their, their hearts are troubled because Jesus loved them. And they loved him. And they experienced his love while they were with him on earth. When they lacked understanding as to the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, what did they do? They asked him. He was right there with them. If they had a question, if they had a, an issue that they could not quite wrap their heads around, he was right there to ask them. So in their hearts, they're thinking, how will we ever carry out the work that God has given us? How is it that we will abide in you if you are going away? How is it that we can bear fruit for the kingdom without you? And Jesus told them, have your hope in me. I'm leaving, but I'm coming back. But isn't it true in our own hearts that hope deferred makes the heart sick? We kind of, our hope is sort of deferred. Even as we sang this morning, even so come, Lord Jesus, come. We desire the, the, that Jesus to come, and yet here we are in this world with kind of our hope deferred. It's not realized yet. The rest of that proverb says, but a desire for fulfilled is the tree of life. It is a tree of life. Can you imagine the confusion in the disciples' minds and the sorrow in their hearts that Jesus would not be present with them? Think about what they had done. They had, they had abandoned their livelihoods to follow Jesus. Family members would disown them because they followed Jesus. And they would say, 
in their heart, you know, my hope, my hope is in you, Lord. What do you mean a little while and you will see me no longer and you will see me again? And because you go to the Father. Earlier they asked, they asked Jesus directly, troubles that they were facing. Why can't I follow you now? How can we know the way? How is it, Lord, that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? You said you will not leave us as orphans, and yet you say you're going to the Father and we can't come. You are our hope. As we have been with you, your, your presence has been our comfort. As we have followed you, you have strengthened us in the truth, and yet you're saying you go away. Jesus' answer to their question, is His answer to them is this, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. The best is yet to come. When I read the news and I see the world celebrating things, like the denial of God's design for men and women, when I see the disregard for a life created by God and that those powers that be in certain companies want to monetize the killing of babies that are sacrificed on the altar of, of economic expediency, my heart sorrows that the kingdom of God and the will of fathers of the Father seem so distant in reality. When you think about those things, doesn't it make you feel like, gosh, the, the kingdom is so far away. It is so distant from my present reality. But we have hope. My hope is in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. My hope is in coming of the King, the King who will set things right. There is my hope. For now, though, my hope may be deferred and my heart is sick. The joy of Jesus Christ is present with me and can never be taken from me. And soon the will of our Heavenly Father and the kingdom of His Christ will come and be done on earth as it is in heaven. The disciples here, not, not understanding Jesus' departure, kind of pose a question. If you go, who will we ask the important kingdom questions of? We've had access to you where we could ask you anything. If you go, who will we ask? Who will we ask? And then Jesus here makes a new prayer promise to them. In that day, you will ask nothing of me, verse 23. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Have you paused to contemplate what it means to pray in Jesus' name? I think as I was talking with some brothers and sisters about this very thing this week, what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Some of the attitudes can be, that's just what we do, right? Like, I've just always heard prayers done that way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As sort of, it's like a tagline at the end of our prayer, right? 
But have you really contemplated what it means to pray in Jesus' name? Is Jesus just a name, some name that we get to evoke so that we can get what we want? Or does it really mean more than that? See, to pray is to ask. The ask of the Father in Jesus' name is to come to God as one who is identified with Jesus Christ by faith. It is to say, Father, I am a blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ, and on that basis, I cast my cares to you. It is to come as a believer in Jesus Christ. I come in the Lord Jesus Christ. I come in Him because He is the Savior. He is the anointed Son of God, the one whom you, God, appointed to perform the work necessary for my redemption. I come in Jesus' name, the anointed Son of God. I come in the name of the one who you appointed to perform the work necessary for my salvation, for my redemption. I come... Uh, in Jesus' name, believing that Jesus is fully divine. I come in Jesus' name, believing that Jesus is the unique Son of God. I come in Jesus' name, believing that He performed the full work of saving me by His death and resurrection, which, Father, You anointed Him to do. To pray in Jesus' name means that you come to the Father based on His merit based on his worth. See, if you go to the bank, right, and you got a check, and let's say you want um, a half a million dollars. I don't think anybody in here has a half a million dollars just sitting there in their bank account, but let's just say we have a, a, a million dollars. And you come and you, you take that check to the bank and you write your name on the bottom, and you go in, in my name, I present this check and I want a million dollars. They look at me and they laugh at me and they say, well, Jeff, you don't have enough deposits here to cover that check. So I'm not giving you anything. But what if I went to the bank with a check for a million dollars signed by Bill Gates? And I go in and I present this check and they say, oh, there's plenty there. I'll give you what you ask for. What, what this you come in Bill Gates' name, and now you have a million dollars, right? You're not coming in your name, you're coming in his name. Well, you see, to pray in Jesus' name, to pray based on his merit, on his worth, if you go to the bank of heaven in prayer, know this, that you have deposited nothing there, if I go in my name. But if I go to the bank of heaven in prayer in Jesus' name, I all of a sudden have access to the unlimited deposits that Jesus Christ has made on my behalf. And then Jesus here says, because the Father loves you, because the Father loves you, and He loves you because you love me, I don't have to go to Him on your behalf. You go in my name with a check signed for all that I have deposited on your behalf through my death and resurrection. That is for you. Everything I've deposited on your behalf is yours. You have to ask in my name because of my worth, because your love for me and his love for you, he will give you that which I have deposited for you. 
What you ask in my name will be credited to you. But we must remember this, one more aspect to praying in Jesus' name. To pray in Jesus' name means to pray in line with Jesus' character and kingdom objectives. We can't go and draw in Jesus' name on things that Jesus would not desire. We can't go and draw on things that are contrary to Jesus' nature and character. We need to ask in Jesus' name as if Jesus himself would ask of the Father. It is to pray as Jesus would. It is to pray according to Jesus' desires and not our own. What would Jesus desire? That is how we pray. Verse 29, his disciples said, Ah, now you, you're speaking plainly and you're not using figurative speech. Uh, now, we know that you know all things and don't need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And the disciples respond that now that things have been plainly explained to us, we shouldn't question you, but just believe. And Jesus' response to them is, well, soon, when the pressure comes, will your faith be demonstrated or will you scatter? We do not know which disciple was speaking for the group here. But often when we look at the Gospels, uh, Peter is kind of the spokesperson, right? And, and Peter's enthusiastic. Uh, kind of gets the cart before the horse, right? I would never, I will, I will never deny you, right? And then, and, and here, it's like, oh, you're speaking to us plainly now. And he says, well, will you? Maybe if... Peter is speaking on behalf of the group. Jesus is saying, the hour is coming when you will scatter to your own homes. Well, remember, Peter will deny Jesus when he's questioned about whether or not he is an associate of his. I don't even know the man. Think about the cross. At the cross, only John is present. At the tomb, all 12 of the disciples go home. Only the women remain behind. Well, the world we live in, it has many sorrows and disappointments and evil, doesn't it? But do you believe in the overcoming Savior, Jesus Christ? He promises them this. And you know, this is one I would, most people would not want to put up on their refrigerator as a reminder that in this world, there will be trouble. I don't think any of us need reminded of that, do we? We kind of live in this world of trouble. But Jesus says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We sang this morning in that song, you know, from, it's from Revelation uh, chapter 12, right? Who will overcome? Who will be able to stand? Who in here? Who will be able to stand? Who will overcome? 
How will you overcome the devil? How will you overcome the residual sin in your life? How will you overcome? We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, the truth about Jesus. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb, His blood shed for us, and we will testify to the truth of Jesus Christ. We will overcome because Jesus is an overcoming Savior. And because He promises here that the Holy Spirit, when He comes, He will incorporate us into all the truth. We will be incorporated into the truth. As we have been incorporated into the vine, we are incorporated into Christ, Christ in us, and us in Christ. The truth of Christ incorporated into us by the power of the Holy Spirit. To overcome the enemy, it is faith in Christ. It is the truth of our testimony of Jesus Christ. And that truth has been revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. All the truth. You, you, me. We have access to all the truth. All of it. Every bit of it. It is contained in the 66 books of the Bible. All the truth. We have access to all the truth. Do you now believe? Do you believe that when you pray in Jesus' name as a saved person who prays according to the character and the nature of Jesus Christ, that all that Christ has deposited in heaven on your behalf through His death and resurrection is available to you? Do you believe that Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven has brought to you the gift of the Holy Spirit? who will guide you not into just knowing facts about Jesus, but that knowing that truth will enable you to obey those truths, will be incorporated into your life in such a way that, that your person and your work are not separated. Who you are and what you do is because the truth of Jesus Christ, you have been incorporated into it by faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit, as it's revealed in Holy Scripture. I ask you today, will you believe? Will you now believe? I pose that question very hard as I thought about this. I need to be clear. I need to have been clear that there's one way, there's one truth, one person to whom we can put our trust and our faith fully in, and that is Jesus Christ. His work, His death for us on the cross. One truth. His resurrection, giving us new life. There's one truth that we are to walk in. There's no other way, friends. Any of you here who don't know that you are a child of God, that you don't know that you are incorporated into Christ, that, that you are, are going to heaven, that you will escape the wrath of God. If you don't know that for sure, I want it to be clear for you this morning that there's one way, one, one way, one truth, one person, one death is sufficient for you, only one only one person's death is sufficient for you. And I want it to be clear. I want you to know that there is no other way. There is no other truth. 
There is no other way for you to be saved except for faith in Jesus Christ and his death for you. I want that to be clear. So since I hope that that is clear, that I have made it clear, I would ask you, do you now believe? Do you now believe? Let us take a moment of silence to reflect upon God's word. Asking ourselves, is there a promise I need to grab a hold of? Is there a sin that the Spirit revealed in me this morning that I need to repent of? Is there some way that God needs to intervene in my life and help me, help me to understand? Pause silently and think on those things.